Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. There is nothing greater when you're preaching than when you get a passage and you read it and the first line tells you exactly what the passage is about. Makes my job really easy. Like all the commentaries and research that you need to do to try and understand what this passage means, the work has been done for you. And that's a little bit of today's parable. Tells us right at the start, the very purpose that Jesus tells this story. Let me read it to you from Luke chapter 18 this morning. Verses nine to 14. There you go. I can't even open my Bible the right page. That's the problem, isn't it? To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So there's our meaning. Here's the reason Jesus tells the story. Let me say that again. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Again, if you weren't here with us last week, parables are just stories that Jesus told using everyday people, language, uh, images from the environment to teach us deep truths about the Kingdom of God. And so here's Jesus' story for today. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, Pharisee being a religious leader, somebody who was part of the uh, upper class religious set of Jesus' day. And the other, a tax collector, somebody that was despised and hated in Jesus' time. Tax collectors ripped off their fellow people and took advantage of their own countrymen and were seen as sellouts on behalf of another empire, the Roman Empire. So we have two figures a religious heavyweight and a despised tax collector. They both go up to the temple to pray and the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank You that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Lord, I just wanna pray this morning as we engage with Your Word, as we look at this great story that Jesus told, that our hearts would be aligned to Your heart. God, would You help us understand what it looks like to not seek our own righteousness, but to actually seek after You and to allow what You've done for us to become our story. God, I wanna pray that You would teach us today through this a lesson in humility. God, just to sand off the rough edges in our life where we need Your touch and Your input and Your wisdom. God, we open our hearts up to You this morning. We ask You to speak to us. We pray in Your Name. Amen. You know, all of us have a choice to make when it comes to our relationship with God. All of us have a choice to make. And there's there's two options and there's many ways that we could word this, but here's the two options that we have when it comes to engaging in a relationship with God. The first one is this, we choose to justify ourselves based on our own goodness. In other words, we, we stand before God one day and we say, God, let me list off to you my list of achievements, all the things that I've done and see that if I've done enough to justify myself, based on my own goodness. There's a second option and it's this, that we trust in the mercy of God's goodness. There's two stories and I reckon we can sum it up by saying most people, when it comes to engaging in a relationship with God, choose to live by one of those two stories. Story one, God, I'm gonna behave my way into your good books. 
story too. God, there's no way I can behave my way into your good book. So I'm just gonna trust that you are good enough that your mercy will be enough for me. And it's out of this premise really that Jesus tells this story. And it doesn't read exactly like this, but Jesus sets up essentially a court scene in the ancient world. He says, there's two people that come before a judge and both of them are there to justify themselves. And the first one comes in and he does what anyone would do in in a court scene. He gives a great rendition of why he is the one that deserves to be vindicated and why he compared to the other one that he stands against is the more deserving. And so the Pharisee comes in and he stands before the judge and he says, well, let me tell you about all my achievements. I'm a generous person. So when he says, I give a tenth of all I have, he says, I'm a generous person. You know what? The law requires of me generosity. It requires me to tithe all that I have and that I have done. But more than that, he says, I'm not just a generous person. I'm a faithful and a spiritual person. I fast regularly. And he says, if you wanna line up my achievements versus this other man here, this tax collector, he is nothing compared to what I am. And so Jesus sets up this court scene. One person is a good man. We beat up the Pharisees, but I don't want us to go on a Pharisee beating up session this morning, right? Because the Pharisees were generally good people. They strived to do good. They strived to live good lives. And even though in the Scriptures they're painted as problematic and sometimes Jesus, they're the people that Jesus takes to task more than any other, let's not forget that they were good people by and large. And so here is a good man justifying himself before God. And on the other hand, is someone who just walks in and says, guilty as charged, Your Honour, I have nothing to say that's gonna make my case any better. And so Jesus sets up this courtroom scene for us. And the most incredible part of this story is that when the judgment is pronounced, the one that is vindicated is not the one that has all the runs of goodness on the board. It's the one who gets on his knees, won't even look to heaven, and acknowledges his guilt. And we may not fully understand or own the shocking nature of this story. Any of us that have a justice bent would understand that this story is is quite grating. One person who strives to live a good life against one person who's just ripped people off and done his own thing. And now before God, one is said to be vindicated because of the way they approach God. This goes against every sense of justice within us. And to those that would have heard this story, it would have been incredibly shocking. The Pharisee on paper was a better bloke. He had lived a responsible and a good life and the tax collector not so much so. Now in the ancient world, we beat up the Pharisees as I said, but in the ancient world, it's not uncommon to talk up your own credentials and your own honour. It's very un-Aussie, isn't it? We don't like people that get up and tell us how good they are. We like to pull those people down, don't we? Tall poppy syndrome. Anyone that gets up and says, let me tell you about how awesome I am. There's just something that just rests in our spirit of cynicism and well, here we go. You tell us how good you are and then give us a moment to tell you how good you're not. But in the ancient world, that was not the culture. If people were able to talk up their own achievement, their own honour, it was a common practice. And so what the Pharisee does in coming into this scene is not something that people would have seen as uncommon. They weren't all sitting there going, oh, you just blow your own trumpet, buddy. You just keep going. You know, you're a goose. No, no, no. People would have been used to people blowing their own trumpet. If you go back into other ancient literature, there's a piece of literature uh, that was written around the time called The Achievements of Divine Augustus, a Roman leader. 
And uh, the achievements of Divine Augustus, you can go and Google it later and have a read of it. There's 35 points that were written that talk to the achievements of Augustus or as has been labelled, Divine Augustus. And there's 35 points that tell us about the achievements of Augustus. They tell us of how he won great military battles. They tell us of how he was exceedingly benevolent and generous to those that he led. They tell us about things that he did that no other leader had done. They tell us about great social enterprise. They tell us about a great cultural enterprise. It talks up the gladiatorial games that he enacted and all these things that he did. 35 points about why Augustus was an incredibly good, competent and just top shelf leader. The crazy thing about the achievements of Divine Augustus is who wrote it? Because guess who wrote the achievements of Divine Augustus? Augustus. That would be like me standing here saying, seven and a half years in the Gateway Ormo, you guys have done it right. I've got 35 reasons why I've been an awesome leader. <laughs> I guarantee you it'd be a cringeworthy moment. You'd all be here going, well, you think you did all right in that, but not really. Augustus writes this piece that says, let me tell you 35 things that I've exceeded in. And in this writing, he honours himself. Let me just give you an example. Point number one says this. At the age of 19 in 44 BC, he writes, on my own responsibility and at my own expense, I raised an army with which I successfully championed the liberty of the Republic when it was oppressed by the tyranny of a faction. Doesn't sound that exciting, but pretty much 35 more points follow of Augustus telling everybody how awesome Augustus is. Now again, in our Aussie culture, we don't get that. But in Jesus' day, it was a done thing. People probably had this mantra of, well, if I don't tell everyone else how good I am, nobody else will. Some of us already think that. If I don't tell my family how awesome I am, they're not going to tell me. And that's what Augustus thought. If I don't tell everybody else of my achievements, nobody else will. And so Jesus steps into a world where honouring oneself was a common practice. It's what you did. You blew your own trumpet. And so when Jesus tells this story, what the Pharisee does is not uncommon in standing up saying, let me tell you about what I've done. I give generously, I fast regularly, and I'm definitely not like that guy over there. And everyone would have gone, oh yes, you're a good man. See, they knew how to blow their own trumpet. And so that's why Jesus' story becomes so stark and so shocking because He does something which people are not used to. He actually says, actually talking yourself up, and Jesus is very Aussie in this moment, isn't he? No, no, let me tell you a completely different narrative. He presents a new way. And he says, those that want to honour themselves, well, you've received all the gift and the benefit that you will get. Let me tell you about the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is about humility, is about pouring yourself out, is about emptying yourself. If you want a great definition of humility, you can Google it, you can go on all the different places and find a whole bunch of people that have spoken about humility, but I still reckon the best definition of humility comes from the Scriptures itself. Philippians chapter 2 says this, In humility, value yourself above others. What is humility? It's to value, oh, sorry, value others above yourselves. Don't listen to the first one. That was Andrew's paraphrase that went wrong. In humility, value others above yourselves. You want to know what humility is? Putting others first. It's looking first at the interests of others. It goes on. Not looking to your own interests, 
but each of you to the interests of others. In humility, value others as better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And Jesus in this parable sets a new norm for how we approach life and how we approach God. It's a, it's a journey of humility. And humility becomes the norm for followers of Jesus and it actually becomes the story of Jesus himself. You see, the story of Jesus is one where the hero of the story is born into abject poverty, lives a life with no great glory in any materialistic sense and then is killed on a Roman cross. Throw that story into a world where people thought the way you got ahead was telling everybody else how awesome you were and now God says, I've got a brand new story for you. It's one where the hero dies on a criminal's cross. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, The cross is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Why? Because this is not how you write a great hero's story. The way of the cross isn't the story of honour. It's the story of humility and people weren't used to a story of humility. So Jesus in this parable challenges an attitude. And the attitude he challenges is that of self-justification, believing that God will accept us based on our own goodness and achievement. That God will accept us based on the things that we've done. In other words, the Pharisee thinks that God's gonna be okay with him based on his behaviour. He Pharisees have become very proficient in the public expression of their faith. There's other stories that they're not parables, they're real life encounters Jesus has where he talks to the Pharisees and says, look at the Pharisees, they're, they're incredibly good at not just giving a tenth of their money, they're actually really good at giving a tenth of their spices. You see, they take the letter of the law and before church on Sunday, not only do they go to their bank account and take out 10% and put in a little envelope to bring to church, they go to their herb garden and they count out 10 sprigs of parsley, you know, 10% of the parsley, 10% of the mint, and they chop it into little bags. And so they walk in, not just with an envelope full of cash, but they walk in with a basket full of produce and everybody sees, man, these people, they're, they're very dedicated, godly, spiritual people. They go above and beyond in all that they do. You see, the Pharisees were very proficient in the public expression of faith. Not only that, they, they let everybody know when they fasted. And the Bible says, you know, when you fast, don't, don't let everyone know that you're not eating. Like get up, brush your teeth, comb your hair, wash your face and turn up and don't make a big deal of it. Because if you just come in looking all bedraggled and hungry and when everyone else goes to make a coffee, you make a point of saying, oh, I'm off coffee at the moment because I'm fasting and it's why I'm looking so gaunt this morning and unshaven and unkempt. And Pharisees were proficient in letting everybody else know when they were in the midst of spiritual disciplines. You see, because they lived in a culture that said, if everybody else thinks that I'm okay, maybe I can convince God through my own goodness and my own religious practice that I'm all right. And the danger of living a life that becomes proficient in the public expression of faith is that over time we actually start to believe that in our own goodness we become deserving of all that God's got. Now, before we all start beating up on the Pharisees this morning, let me ask you a really confronting question. Do you ever do that? Do you ever do that? You may never have seen yourself in line with the Pharisees, but let me ask yourself a question. Have you ever had a conversation with God that went like this? And let me let you in on a little secret. I have, okay? So feel all right if you have too. But it's one that goes like this. God, with all that I've done for you, why is this happening to me? 
You ever had one of those conversations? Well, God, look at those people over there. They, they do nothing for you. And I've prayed about this. We've spoken about it. I chose three weeks ago that I was going to start turning up to church early. I've actually been singing the songs. We, we pray before dinner now as a family. We've done a devotion once in the last month around the table and that is a big step forward for our family. I've been putting some money in the offering bucket. God, I've been giving some of my time. There is a long list, God, of the things right now that I'm doing for you. How come you're not coming through for me? Has anyone else here ever had one? I'm not gonna ask you that. This is a question for you to think about. Don't put your hand up, please. I'll put my hand up. It may not be that language, but, but there's a hard belief that says, God, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm doing for you. I've started praying. I've started being faithful. I've started doing all the things that I should be doing. Where's the reward? See, that was the heart of the Pharisee. The heart of the Pharisee said, well, God, I'm gonna stand here today and I'm gonna tell you about all the things that I've done and I'm gonna believe that my list of goodness is gonna be enough to get me in your good books and in your favour. And Jesus turns it all on his head. He says, in this moment, one person of those two goes home justified and it's the tax collector, not the Pharisee. And what's the big lesson that Jesus wants us to get out of this? It's this. Behaviour does not justify you. You will never behave good enough to earn God's favour. Behaviour will never justify you. Only God's mercy. If you need to write something down today, write that down. My behaviour will never justify me. Only God's mercy. Quick little tangent. Because one of the things that we get confronted of when we get confronted with that thought is, well, what's the point of doing the right thing? What's the point of living within the boundaries of what God asks us to do? What's the point of following all the stuff the Scripture talks about? Well, let me, without having a whole sermon to unpack it, let me give you two thoughts. One, God knows you better than you do. And He knows the things in your life that are gonna help you flourish. And so the things that He puts in His Word for you to live by aren't as kind of chains for you to wear, as burdens for you to carry. They're things that are gonna help you flourish. And when we learn to live within the bounds of what God asks us to do, guess what? We live lives that flourish. Not lives that everything goes well, not lives that, uh, uh, you know, we don't get sick and tragedy doesn't strike. No, no, no. But God knows how you've been designed. And so He puts things in place to enable you to flourish in relationship with Him. But secondly, we then don't start doing the things that God calls us to do because we have to to earn His favour. We do it as a response of worship to Him. Worship's not what happens when Jordan gets up here for the first 20 minutes of a Sunday and we sing songs. That's an aspect of how we worship. It's a place where we come and we declare some truths through you know, a different means in music and in song about who God is. But, but that is not just worship in itself. Worship is about the lifestyle that we adopt in response to what God has done for us. So you don't do things for God to earn His favour. You do things for God because you just know that you've already got His favour and you can't help but respond in worship. We don't actually do stuff to earn God's favour because you will never be good enough to earn God's favour. And here's the thing, the Pharisee thinks that the way he can justify himself is by comparing himself to the tax collector. He says, God, let me list all the good things that I've done and then let me tell you how much better I am than them. 
I give, I fast, I turn up to the temple, I serve, I, I do everything you ask me to do. And look at that rotten scoundrel over there. He's got nothing. In other words, the Pharisee thinks if he can set himself apart from somebody else, God will think that he's all right. And God says, no, 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 no. I don't justify you based on the way you compare to someone else because the only person God will ever compare you to is His Son. And that's bad news for all of us because none of us are ever gonna live up to that standard. So if you think it's your goodness that gets you in God's right favour, you've got a long way to go and you're gonna sign yourself up for a life of pain because you'll never get there. You'll just never be good enough. Because even right now, all the good things that you've done deep inside without even uttering them, you know the list of things that you haven't done that you need to pull your socks up and do better, don't you? You will never get there. Goodness does not put you in God's favour. The thing that puts you in favour with God is God's grace and God's mercy. And it's a free gift. It's nothing that you earn, but it's something that God lavishly gives to you. And that's the story that Jesus wants to tell. You will never behave well enough to get in God's good books. But God doesn't judge this through the lens of behaviour. He judges it through the lens of relationship. And when the Pharisee falls on his knees and says, God, I'm guilty as charged, Jesus says, that's all I need to know. When you confess, the Bible says our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And so the Pharisee comes in a stance of confession and repentance and says, God, I've got nothing good to tell you. And God says, oh, that's just where I need you. Welcome. You today are vindicated. And so I want to give good news to any of you here that have spent your whole life trying to behave your way into God's good books. There's a better way. It's not actually choosing to do it through the lens of your own goodness. It's actually trying to do it through the lens of God's mercy. And God in His goodness is lavish in His mercy. For some of us, that's the message for today. And in a couple of moments, I'm gonna pray for some of you and give you the chance for the very first time to say, I'm gonna stop trying to earn God's favour through my behaviour and I'm gonna start allowing God to transform me through His grace. I wanna introduce you into a relationship with Jesus this morning that's based on the grace of God, not you justifying yourself through your own behaviour. It's the most freeing message you will ever hear and you will ever embrace. But before we get there, just one second challenge that comes out of this passage today. I got carried away and I've lost myself in my notes. A second challenge. Now we have a national pastime that is telling everyone how good we are. Think about it. What's the standard Aussie greeting? G'day mate, how you going? Good. Does anyone else, or is that just my standard Aussie Ocker greeting? How you going? Good. Maybe the answer's not good, maybe it's not. Not too shabby, not bad. But whatever it is, it's always in the affirmative. Have those awkward moments where you walk up to someone and say, hey, g'day mate, how you going? And they go, oh, I'm not that good. You go, well, this is awkward. That's not what you meant to say. And you start backing out thinking, I'm not here to be your counsellor today. Like, you need to go find somebody that you can talk to about that. But can you just say Good. And if we get in those situations, how you going, mate? How you doing? Not so good. Well, that's not good. And we're just going to back that truck up and get out of there quick smart, don't we? It's our national pastime to tell everyone how good we are. How you going? Good. What are you up to? Not much. Are you doing all right? Yeah. That's <laughs> the way we greet one another. Maybe that's just the Aussie Ocker in me. How you going? Good. See, we've created a national pastime of telling everyone else we're okay. 
We don't take it out of our greeting, we take it online. Those of us that are engaged in the social media world, social media is a terrible place for us to compare our lives to others because everybody else on social media puts the highlight reel of their life and we compare that to our normality. I love some of the family photos of mine that end up online. I wish you could see the 10 minutes that led up to them, trying to get everyone to smile, get everyone in the room. Draw your eyes for a moment, just smile at that camera because we need the world to know that we're a happy family. And then we hashtag it with so blessed. So blessed. So good. God is generous. Love my family. And then we go through the live feature on our iPhones. If you've got one to pick the perfect moment when everyone's smiling and looking at the camera and we capture it and we post it for the world to see. Because we actually really want everyone to think that we're doing okay. Problem is the rest of us look at everybody else's lives lived through a social media platform and start to compare to that. It's like I never get Instagram influencers. This is a little sidetrack beef. (laughs) How do people get photos of themselves sitting on top of monuments when the camera's clearly 35 metres from them? And they're like, love being on my own in the middle of nature. (laughs) Anyway, that's got nothing to do with my sermon. (laughs) I'm just telling you, all of you that post those photos and you think none of the rest of us are onto the fact that when you're sitting pensive looking at the beach with no one else around, we know you're not there on your own. We knew you took 45 minutes to set that photo up. You ain't fooling nobody. But you know what? We try and fool people by projecting an image of goodness that says we're doing okay. We've got the perfect life. Everything's in order here. Nothing wrong. This is, you know, we, we airbrush the things in our life that aren't going so well and we try and convince everyone else that we're doing okay. Take it off social media for a moment and move it into church. You know, one of the hardest things I ever hear when I talk to people that walk into this place is when I meet with them and they say, man, I find church really hard because I'm really messed up and everyone else has got it together. Why? Because we want everyone to think we're doing okay. And, And so we dress ourselves up and we pull ourselves together and we project an image that tells everyone else that we're doing okay. And we talk to our kids before we walk in the door about appropriate behaviour. And that obviously didn't happen to my family. My daughter was holding a book that she picked up this morning. I'd really prefer her to be holding a leather-bound book of the Bible with the red letter edition of Jesus' words. But she was holding a book that was a diary of a wimpy kid, how to deal with terrible families or dorky families or something like that. I'm just like, what? Don't bring those. Bring the hymnal next time, child. (laughs) I need everyone here to feel like the main family's got it all together and we are holy. <laughs> now you laugh at that, but, but there's a whole bunch of us sitting here today looking around thinking, man, everyone else's marriage is together. Everyone else has got their spiritual life together. Oh, everyone else's family's together, got the perfect kids, their kids never back chat. Man, if they knew what it was like in my household, if they knew what the car ride here to church was like this morning, if they knew how hard it was just to turn up and feign to be normal. You see, we got this, this world where we try so hard to make everyone else feel like we're doing okay, that we get in this cycle of feeling like the greatest achievement in life is to convince everyone else that we're doing all right, we're inside, we're breaking down, falling apart. You know, Jesus' parable is actually a story to remind us that it's not our list of achievements that get us in God's good books, it's His mercy. But I think there's a side challenge that speaks into our culture. It says we're actually invited to approach God from a place of humility and authenticity. 
But more than that, he encourages us to treat each other and deal with each other in a place of authenticity and humility. Really, when it comes down to it, this place, the place you all sit this morning, the front row of this church, wherever it is, the end of our service and we offer prayer and ministry time, this should be the safest place on planet Earth to be ourselves. Because every single one of us here carries some hurt, carries some burdens, carries some areas of our life that aren't going that well. Every one of us here carries some areas of our life that are going really well. But, but if we spend our whole life trying to convince everybody else that we've got it all together and we're all right, one, we're fooling ourselves and one, we're not helping anybody else. And so Jesus invites us into a relationship with Him that is marked by humility and vulnerability and authenticity. And He invites us to have that relationship with one another. Now in wisdom, it's not the thing we come in and project to a room of 150 people. But if you right now are not in a place where you've got some people around you that are helping you walk the Christian life, that you can be honest with, that you can tell them when everything at home is just in a mess, when you can tell them that you you are in a terrible physical space or mental space, when you can talk about your doubts, when you can question some of the things that you don't understand, where you can just be honest and authentic and vulnerable. I want to encourage you to do whatever you have to do to get into that space. We've got some structures here that we encourage. We've got life groups that we encourage people to get into. And I know from talking to some of you, your life group has become the place of ultimate authenticity and vulnerability. For others, you know, we're we're still trying to work out. We still don't know we trust everyone in the group. And that's okay. Trust takes time to build. Maybe you just want to invite one or two others here that, that you're building a relationship with and say, let's get together, not just to talk about you know, the weather, let's get together to talk about how we're doing. You, you have permission to, in a sense, form your own life groups. We encourage you to tell us, not because we want to dictate that, but just so we can actually resource you and encourage you and give you some stuff to keep it intentional. But find a space where you don't feel like you're spending your whole life convincing everybody else that you're good. No worries, you're good, mate? Yeah, good. Nothing to report, nothing to report, all good. Now, we have days that are like that. But I reckon I'm at least speaking to the 99.5% of us this morning. If I'm not speaking to you, I reckon you're in the minority, very small. There's times for all of us when in our own hurt and brokenness. We need to be honest and vulnerable and authentic with God and with others. Because we can spend our whole life fooling each other, but we'll never fool God. You know, freedom, we sang about freedom this morning. I'm going to get the band to come join me right now. I reckon we need to sing that last song that we sung again. Death was arrested. We're going to go there. But freedom, true freedom, starts in a place of honesty vulnerability and authenticity. Freedom comes when we stop working so hard to convince everyone else that we are okay. For some of us, if our faith life is completely marked by always trying to let everyone know how good we are, we're in danger of living life through a filter of fear that is legalism. You know, like if if you've bought into this belief that God's only going to Accept you if you get it all right, you're going to spend your whole life living through fear, wondering if the last thing you said or the last thing you did or the last time you mucked up is going to be the straw that breaks 
the camel's back in your relationship with God and you'll spend your whole life striving and striving and striving. You know the problem with people that live through a filter of legalism, of always trying to make sure that they get everything correct and perfect and, and never want to admit their failures, is not only does it burn us up, but that projects into how we relate to others. God actually said, I want you to live a life of freedom. I want you to live a life of freedom. And freedom isn't just going and doing what you want. Freedom is living in the bounds of the way that God wants you to live. That's where ultimate freedom exists. But it also says that if you step outside those bounds, guess what? God's not disowning you. He just wants to envelope you again in His arms of grace and mercy and move you back into a place where you're living in the place of ultimate flourishing with Him. See, we can live out of a place of fear or we can live out of a place of freedom. And the invitation this morning is to live out of a place of freedom. We encourage you, church. We have this incredible invitation. Jesus tells us this story where He picks a great villain, a hated, despised, messed up, broken, sinful tax collector. And in this story, the tax collector gets on his knees before God and pleads for mercy. And Jesus says, guess who received God's mercy? That guy. The guy that spent his whole life trying to convince everyone else that he was good. He missed the point. Hey, as we sing this morning, I wanna give us a couple of opportunities. We have plenty of space down the front this morning. As I said, this space should be the safest place on planet Earth to come and be honest before God. But maybe for some of us this morning, we just need to come and yeah, we're not quite ready to share our story with someone else, but we're very open to saying, well, we're not, we're not convincing God of anything that's not real. We just need to get on our knees and maybe physically you need to get on your knees. If you're not comfortable with that, you can stand or you can sit. I encourage you to come to the front, not because it's a show, but because there's something in movement. Movement says something intentional. Movement says something about, okay, God, this is for me today and I'm gonna step into it. So you're not coming here to be on show to everyone else. If you're, on, if you're worried about that, don't worry about that. I encourage you to come to the front and just do some business with God this morning. Say, okay, God, time to take the mask off. Time to stop behaving my way into your good books and just open my life to your grace and your mercy. And that always starts as the tax collector with getting on our knees and just acknowledging he says, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. God, I need your grace. Something powerful in confession and repentance that opens us up for God to do His best work. Andrew Murray, Christian author, says this, Here is the path to the high life. Down. Lower down. Just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds men and women abased and empty, His glory and power flow in to exalt and to bless. When we empty ourselves, God builds us up. That's what He does. So as we sing this morning, as everyone else stands and engages in that, if you just need to do some business with God, I'm going to invite you to come and fill this space and you just pray your own prayers, put it in your own words, tell God what you need to tell Him. We're gonna get some of our team just to float around and pray for you. If you wanna share with them, you're welcome to, but they'll just stand with you and pray a blessing over you this morning. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more. 